Blog Talk Radio. The beat goes on. The beat goes on. Drums keep pounding a rhythm to the brain. La da 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 dee. La da 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 da. Charleston was once the rage.
Um, I want to preface the show by saying how grateful I am to everybody who has helped raise up anybody who's been willing to fight for liberty, theirs or somebody else's, um, be it cannabis liberty or be it uh, any other liberty. I also am very grateful for everybody who has helped make the Human Solution International <coughs> the unique and amazing organization that it is. I firmly believe, no, I don't believe, I know, with every fiber of my being that there are larger organizations out there. There are organizations that are more funded out there but I can tell you this, there is not an organization out there that is here for the purpose of defending and supporting civil rights that has more heart than the human solution. To my knowledge, there has not been an effective 501c3 organization that has operated for nearly 10 years now. In a few short months, we will be hit our 10-year anniversary. As an all-volunteer organization, we've never paid one cent of salary to any worker for any reason at all. Every nickel that we've ever raised for this organization has gone to the causes that we support, and just there isn't any other group that does that. Um, the people that have come into our world sometimes have come in for a reason, sometimes for a season, and there's a very small but precious seems to be here for a lifetime. For those people and, and for everybody who cares enough to participate in the civil rights movement on any level, but especially today, in the effort to end cannabis prohibition, not to pass a law that allows some limited use, um, I'm grateful for you. Now that being said, being grateful and being frustrated sometimes can cohabitate in the same place. I'm extremely frustrated for a lot of reasons, and we'll discuss some of those reasons today one of them being lawyers. We're going to talk about lawyers today. And, and I will paint with some broad brushes, and I will leave a place for there to be exceptions. But when we're talking about the truth, one of the initial truths that I want to get into is there's two sides to every story. There's without darkness, there can be no light. Without light, there can be no darkness. So we understand these things, hopefully at least a little bit, um, we're not all made out of the same stuff. Most people don't have uh, the grit that it takes to, to live outside of your comfort zone. I recognize that. Um, it's very difficult to do what you say. It's very difficult to uh, live up to your word. It's very difficult to uh, show up for things that are not rewarding immediately. This is things that are humanity issues. So on the one side, 
we have a reality that says we paint our own picture. We look at it through our own lens. We can see the light or the darkness in any situation. And we have some amazing members of our organization that are just blessed with the ability to see the light. <clears throat> but by the same token, if you ignore the darkness, um, in some ways you eliminate its power. In other ways you allow it to thrive un, uh, unmolested. You allow it to breed and do its workings because it has its own life. And if you've worked with people that are full of darkness, you'll know that. And if you leave them unattended, they will breed and they will grow and they will do things that will not help. So this show is a combination of all of these things. A lot of times when we look at the truth for what it is, the raw truth, we will open up wounds. We will expose things that people don't like to be exposed. We will make a place that may be very uncomfortable for many of you. I recognize that. But one of the things that I want to get into is time. We all have 24 hours of every day. We don't know how many days we have left. Nobody does. Unless you decide to take your own life, then I guess you would control that. But short of that, we're all even in that. It doesn't matter if you are illiterate or if you have multiple PhDs. It doesn't matter if you are barely able to walk or if you're an Olympian athlete. It doesn't matter whether you're clumsy or a ballet expert, whatever the hell that would be. Um, the time that we all have, in my opinion, is precious. I know a lot of people don't recognize the preciousness of their own time. I know a lot of people have time to waste, time to burn, have time to be bored, have time to do whatever. But there are some people, and I'm one of them, who is so impassioned about life and about what we're here to do that time is the one thing that I cherish the most. And I witness people all the time that just refuse to um, place value on time, and that's a frustration that I have. I'm going to implore everybody to recognize the value of your time. You don't know how many hours you have left, and frankly, you control what you do with those hours. That's the thing you do have power over. So this show I consider to be a value, so much of a value that I donate two hours of my time, probably three three hours total, um, in order to make this show happen. And I don't do it lightly. I don't do it because I don't have anything else to do. I do it because I watch this show bring life to people's ability to fight. I watch this show have the ability to inspire people. I watch <laughs> this show give a voice to people who have no voice. I watch this show have a value all by itself. And part of the value of the show is my ability to bring it together and have conversation like this. Hopefully my voice does better this week than last week. It's 
seems like it's not doing great, but um, it feels stronger than it did last week. Hopefully, I get some hot lemonade coming my way. And of course, I do have a cup of Joe to keep it wet. I want everybody to realize, whoever's listening to this show and people in the future, that the world we live in today really cares about what you did today. They don't really remember what you did yesterday, as a rule. I mean, there's, I'm painting with very broad strokes today. So please, everybody who's raising your hand going, but wait, but wait, of course there's exceptions to what I'm saying. I'm painting with a very broad brush on purpose. I'm here to make some points that are truths the way I see them, and I welcome everybody to join the show. If you have a dissenting opinion or if you agree, I suppose you can call in too. But what makes this show important is you. And not often enough do I get people call in and disagree. I don't know, maybe I'm right all the time. I doubt it. I doubt it. I don't know anybody who is. But if you have something to say, you will have a voice. I let every single person who wants to talk on this show talk. And I'll let a show go long to allow you to talk. And all you got to do is pick up your phone and dial 646-929-2495. And that's it. We have our amazing screener, Noncompliant Mary, on the line. And... She'll pick up the phone and ask you, what's up? you have something to say or just want to listen? Um, if you're listening on the line and something pops up, and you're like, oh, wait, 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 I don't agree with you or I have something to say, <clears throat> hang up your phone, call back, do the same thing. It works. It's really simple. We have a Facebook live stream going on. Actually, we got two feeds because we had a broken one last week. So I'm running one on my public page. Hello to everybody. And then we have Lisa Wildridge running one. Hello to everybody. Hey. Wherever you are, if you see this, please share it. Let people see it. What makes this show work is that you are all part of it. Uh, otherwise, you get tired of hearing me yap endlessly. So um, everybody who's here, Patty Joe Fisher, Patrice Mahoney, <coughs> David Abel, Paco, I hope you're still on, Tara, and everybody else. Glad you could join us. Hopefully this will be worth your time. So remember, the human solution has been around for 10 years, essentially. 10 years ago, today, I was fighting my first case or getting very close to doing that. There are a handful of people that were engaged 10 years ago today that or anything to do with this organization, very small handful of people. There are people that we've helped 10 years ago today that I don't know if you were to ask them or anybody that was around them about what happened, if we would even be acknowledged. To anybody who wants to help in prohibition, to anybody who really in their heart is moved to act, to be part of the human solution or to help anybody fight a case or to educate people about this medicine or about freedoms and liberties and rights, <clears throat> I want to urge you to separate yourself from your ego because your ego is not likely to be stroked. 
you're likely to work really hard and get forgotten about. You're likely to um, be criticized for things that you do. If these things are happening, stay strong, because what will happen is you will make a difference. And every once in a while, the universe will tap you on the shoulder and somebody will come up to you and say, you know what, that thing you did, that thing you said, it changed my life, it changed my world. There will be a time where you're in court looking across the room at the defendant to look at you with a look in their eyes that is indescribable. Those things will happen. And if they happen once, it's worth it. If you do an action that helps one person raise themselves up, it's all worth it. But do not enter into this arena if you think you're going to be famous or if you think you're going to be <laughs> put up on a pedestal or if you think somehow you're going to have some gains out of it, don't waste your time. There's enough people doing that. And they're part of our problem, certainly not part of our solution. There are a few people in the world throughout all of history that have been so remarkable and done so many remarkable things that they're remembered. And uh, Martin Luther King comes to mind as one of them. And here celebrating or remembering, I should say, probably not celebrating, but remembering hopefully the fact that he was here and the fact that he was remarkable and the fact that he was so remarkable that the words that he said and the people that he touched, the things that he did, the inspiration that he gave, lives on today. So much so that he got a national holiday. And by God, I think he deserves it. You know, I think that there are few people on this that have ever hit this floor that have been as remarkable as Dr. Martin Luther King. And I urge you to study... <laughs> about his life, um, pay attention to the work that he did, the accomplishments he made, and the suffering that he endured, and ultimately the fact that he lost his life as a result of trying to make a difference. But there are very few people that raise up to his level, and it's not about being that exceptional. We all have the reasons that were put on this place. And very few of us are, are meant to be that kind of leader, to make that kind of change. But I just want to think about that for a second and remember that it's not just those exceptional people, but it's each one of us. Each one of us has a bit of that in them. Whatever your spiritual path is, whoever your guru is or whoever your, your, your spirit guide or your God is, there's something in you that is divine. There's something in you that is that inspiration that is made of that same fabric, that same stardust. And we all have the ability to shine like that. And that's what this is about, bringing out that, unveiling the light that we all hold. We're going to talk today with Adam Asenberg. Adam is a warrior. Adam is a man who has endured tremendous pain and suffering and has fought for us. Um, he's fought his own battle. He was 
providing medicine. He was operating in a place where they had some laws that allowed some protections, maybe not enough. Instead of bowing down, he stood tall. He stood and he fought. And when he won his case, instead of shaking it off and going on about his way, he was proactive and he filed his own case. We're going to talk about that. He just had oral arguments. <laughs> and unfortunately, I mean, I don't think they've ruled yet, but I witnessed the uh, the hearing. And uh, unfortunately, his attorney, um, my opinion, put in a mediocre at best performance, and um, I was not impressed. And unfortunately, that happens a lot. We're going to talk about attorneys. We're going to talk about the world we live in and attorneys and how that works together, the fabric that they've woven and the web that we get caught in and the ways, things that we can do about it. Those are all things that we're going to talk about today. Before we go further, and I know Craig's going to call in pretty shortly. I will, we'll bring up Adam right after I'm done with this last point. I want you to think about these things. There are laws. We live in a world of laws. Look at the the, the, the code book. Oh, God, it's, it's voluminous. There are so many ways to break laws. It's so difficult to be a legal person these days because there's laws about everything, and, and if you are going to follow every one of them to the T, um, you're going to be a fairly dull person, in my opinion. <clears throat> I want you to think about laws and about the history of laws, and I want you to think about the differences between laws that get broken and laws that don't get broken. Okay? When I talk about cannabis laws and I talk about right and wrong and jury nullification and all of this stuff, I'm talking about a very specific type of point, and that very specific type of point has to do with right and wrong. Not about legal and not legal, and we'll talk more about legal and not legal as time goes goes on. But about the laws themselves. So if you think about certain laws that aren't broken, because they can't be, those are legal issues. Okay? So if you want to talk about um, things that need to change a law, in order to happen. There are some of those things. There was a time when women were not allowed to vote. Well, guess what? They couldn't break that law. They couldn't just vote. They weren't allowed to. So there was no way to be a black market voter. It didn't exist. It did not happen. The only way possible for women to be allowed to vote was they had to change the law. That's it. There was a time very recently where gays couldn't get married. You just couldn't do it because there was no marriage. All right? And then one by one a state broke open that, and in that state a marriage could happen. But you couldn't have a marriage that was legally accepted 
and all the rights and privilege here forward because it wasn't legal. So it didn't matter how much you loved each other, how much you cared about each other, how long you lived together, <clears throat> how many kids you had together, whatever. It didn't matter. Property owning, all that stuff, none of that mattered because it wasn't legal to be married until the law was changed. But there are a lot of laws, and I could go on, mixed races, uh, being married and, you know, hell, being together, um, all the, the, the Jim Crow laws, all this kind of stuff. There was all kinds of horrible laws that gave people or kept people from having rights, and they did not have those rights until those laws changed. It just couldn't happen because they were legal issues. Okay? There are all kinds of laws that have never been followed. Never. Not once. And every prohibition law, when alcohol was prohibited, it wasn't followed. There was always somebody breaking that law, no matter what. didn't matter what the penalty was. could have been under penalty of death, and people would have kept drinking and people would have kept making booze. There's no way you could legislate that way. Cannabis prohibition, same thing. doesn't matter what the penalty is. We have people serving life in prison today. Some of them knew what they were doing, put them at risk of that, and they did it anyways. This is a bad law. Bad, bad law. And it's not something that can be legislated. You cannot legislate away a person's right to consume anything. can't do it. Much as we try, we can't. So when we talk about legalizing and taxing and regulating, I say, by what authority? You can't take it away from us. You don't own it. It's not yours. You do. You try. Most of us are fooled into it. But it's not yours to take. I want to think about those things and the types of laws <coughs> that people will break, no matter what. You go on about any of those personal, behind-the-doors kind of laws, you just can't legislate that stuff. It would never happen. It would never happen. So when we talk about jury nullification and judging a law as well as the evidence put before you, think about these things. Is this a law that can actually legitimize something or not? You can't. You, have, you can make that decision. On that note, I do want to make a point. I want to apologize on behalf of the Human Solution and all of our members. Um, last week, I mentioned that Kirsten Tynan from the Fully Informed Jury Association was coming to town, and we were... I pledged that we would have a location for an event on the 7th, which is this Friday. <clears throat> and I put it out there, and I talked about it, and nobody came forth, so we dropped the ball. And, of course, I made the pledge, so I dropped the ball, and I apologize, Kirsten. Um, I just didn't have the way to do it by myself, and I didn't have anybody willing to help. Everybody is so busy trying to get legal. Everybody's so busy trying to jumpstart their business. Everybody's so busy 
trying to go through the paperwork hoops and get the get their location and all of this. That's all I hear about all day long. Nobody's worried about ending prohibition. And again, I'm painting with broad strokes. I know there's plenty of people who are outside of that. Plenty of you are listening. Not talking about you, obviously. But everybody that would have in years past um, supported such an event, they're busy doing other things right now. And for that, I'm ashamed. It is what it is, folks. It is what it is. All right. Um, we're going to bring up Adam Asenberg first. Again, Adam is a, uh, a warrior. I respect people for their actions. I don't so much care about their words unless their words are backed up by their actions. But I've watched Adam since I was fighting my case. We were both fighting our cases together. And he always spoke simply. He always spoke the truth. And he always backed up his words with actions. So I'm going to let Adam kind of tell the story about what's happened, what brought him to here. I know there's people listening to Adam for the first time. And um, he's got an interesting story. And, well, there's Craig Cecil. Sorry, Adam. Fifteen minutes from now, we will bring you up. Craig Cecil calling from federal prison. You will not be charged for this call. What's calling, Trump? Craig Cecil. An inmate at a federal prison. This call is being recorded and is subject to monitoring. Hang up to decline the call or to accept. Craig Cecil, how are you doing today? Hello, Joe. Hello, Joe. It's, uh, well, it's dusk here in uh, Terre Haute, Indiana, and it's cool outside. It's it's in the 30s out there right now, and it's supposed to be the uh, 20s overnight, so we're a little bit chilly for spring. Must be all that global warming. Yeah, it doesn't seem to be getting here in Indiana yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, all I know is uh, things are what they are, and uh, the news paints a picture, and looking outside your door sometimes paints a different picture. So uh, tell me what's going on in Terre Haute this, this week. Well, the prison has been fairly quiet, which is good. Uh, the only thing they are doing is they've decided that we can no longer have property stored outside of our lockers. So they're on a big bench now to make sure that any possessions we have uh, must be stuffed in, in the locker. So a lot of guys are resisting. A lot of people are mad. A lot of people are, you know, having to downsize. So it's, it's now, uh, you know, people are a little angry about that. But How big is your locker? Pardon? How big is your locker? It's not very big. I um, everybody has one locker. The locker is about three foot tall, about two foot wide, and about 12 inches deep. And, <laughs> and in that, you can store all of your worldly possessions. That is correct. That is the expectation. <laughs> Believe it or not, you get fairly good at it. Yeah, you'd be surprised what you can get in there. Wow. Well, I hope I hope you're not a. Years of practice. <laughs> I hope you're not a collector of books or stuffed animals. No, I'm not. Let's call it from a federal prison. The only thing I have noticed about the news here recently is even the president makes a lot of mention about prisoners and uh, prisoners getting jobs and uh, employers looking more and more to prisoners because they're having trouble finding people to fill jobs and all that. 
And uh, there's even some talk about prison reform that, you know, is hitting the mainstream news. So hopefully, you know, there's a few people out there that are, you know, uh, that have remembered us. I mean, I'm sure a billboard will go a long ways towards that as well. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting. Um, we've been we've been working hard trying to trying to get this billboard thing going on, but um, I have yet still to have an owner of any cannabis business step forward and even engage a conversation with me. First of all, what we what we've decided we're going to do is with the money that we have pledged for one billboard. We've decided to get some um, car magnets and spend some money on that. But the other thing we found out is that you can you can create a banner, a big you know vinyl billboard size, and you can put it on a private property, like hang it on a truck trailer that's facing the freeway, as long as it's not touching the ground, and it's on private property, and the property owner's okay with it, that we can legally post a sign that way and now for the cost of printing the vinyl it looks like we're going to be able to do it and we have a couple of locations already sort of working their way through that are fairly visible and uh, it's a doable thing now it looks like we're, we're heading down the direction I wish we'd get more support from even one of the legal quote unquote cannabis businesses but not one not one has stepped up yet Wow, I'm surprised, and there is those uh, groups that are, you know, uh, trying to put together seed money and all that for marijuana enterprises and that, it, and it just surprises me that they, they're only interested in uh, in making money, I suppose, huh? Well, you know, our, we, we try to address that by giving them some space. You know, if you're going to have an ad and it has a message and your business is shown as a sponsor, you get an ad out of that donation. I would still think that that might be desirable, but you know, I'm not very good at marketing, and, and maybe that's part of the problem. I'm hoping that um, you know some of our more marketing savvy folks can help get this message up and out there, so we can really get these um, rolling. We've got you know between you and, and Lance Glore, Aaron Sandusky and a few of the other uh, prisoners that we have personal relationships with, I want to get your name out there. I want it to be something that we can take a picture of it and send it to you, and you can see the actual boots-on-the-ground work that's being done, not only on your behalf, of course, but on the behalf of everybody who's locked up for a nonviolent drug offense. Thank you, and I I think that is something that, uh, people are missing, you know. So many people, if you ask them now, you know, oh, marijuana's legal. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, there's people like me that say, well, what about me? Yeah, yeah. How's that working out for you, Craig? <laughs> <laughs> Here I watch, you know, all these large grow operations on TV with, uh, you know, different network cameras going through them. And, uh, oh, yeah. In my criminal case, I, I've never seen anything you know, as immense as that. I have toured a number of, of legal facilities, and I just shake my head, and I think to myself, how dare you on some level, because, you know, I don't. I support everybody doing everything. Be free, get fruitful and multiply, make a bunch of money. I don't give a damn about that part of it. But let's fix the 
problem first. You know, let's take some of our resources and make it so this can't happen again. Every single person that is holding on to a, a, a marijuana license, a cannabis license of any kind, is at risk of being you, and they just don't get it. It's, yeah. And, like, my other surprise is, is I would think there would be so much leverage by the uh, vets that, you know, um, that so many of them are suffering from all the different forms of PTSD and, you know, from all the different injuries they've, you know, sustained in the different wars. And so many of them benefit from the uh, cannabis or cannabinoid uh, therapies, but they can't prescribe them. But they, you know, actually get in trouble sometimes for using them. Oh, yeah. But instead they, they give them, you know, horrible prescription drugs with all kinds of side effects and with all, all kinds of long-term effects even, you know. I, I have a list of stories I could tell you. When you get out and you and I have a chance to sit around the lake somewhere and and uh, while away some hours trying to catch some fish, I can tell you so many stories about people that have relieved themselves of pharmaceutical nightmares using this plant. And, you know, I've challenged the world to come on this show and explain to me why does this plant need to be regulated. People talk about, what about the children? And I say, yeah, if the children had access to this, there'd be a whole lot less problems. I'm not saying be stupid about it. I'm saying not one child has ever died from cannabis in the history of man. Why are you so afraid? I just want to know. I mean, and the, the benefits have been demonstrated over and over again. And they're acknowledged. I think I told you about a year ago, uh, somebody very close to me was in the hospital undergoing chemo and other cancer treatments and was caught in a VA hospital smoking a joint. <laughs> wow. They came in, they came in, they gave him a ticket, he paid a, a $25 fine, and that was the end of it. I mean, they didn't throw him out of the hospital. They weren't even mad at him. They're just like, this is against our policy, and, you know, we're sorry we got to do it. Wow. <laughs> That's just, you know, that's just a whole another layer of ridiculous thrown on top of, of of the heinous, you know, problem that it is. You know, it's just, uh, it's so far removed from common sense. It's so far removed from, from, from logic and reason. And yet the world is, is more and more immersed in it. And more and more people have some kind of quasi-knowledge about it. And yet we still have these conversations about, it must be tightly regulated. It must be, you know, controlled. It must be taxed. It must be this, that, and the other thing. And once again, you know, if you look at it, part of what the show is going to be about today is about lawyers. And unfortunately, I don't have a very high regard for lawyers. I wish I did. But if you look at lawyers and you look at policies and you look at politicians, and you look that there's a bit of a common thread. Judges, prosecutors, most politicians, most elected officials, that's the one thing they all have in common. Most of them are lawyers. Go figure. You think there's maybe a little conflict of interest? I don't know. Well, I've seen that, in, you know, recently in my own criminal matter, is that uh, the two lawyers went, you know, way over the top uh 
as you know, I uh, had all that trouble with the uh, wacky dentist here that attacked me and all that. Like, fix my tooth, but the way you fix my tooth is it made the one that it hit, it broke that tooth. Oh, no. So now, I, now I'm in a secondary war to have the the effects of his repair fixed. <laughs> oh, no. So, so hopefully, hopefully this will work out a lot smoother than my last go around with the dentist. So uh, please so wish me luck in that, what should be a simple ordeal. I <laughs> certainly will. All right, Craig. Well, always a pleasure, and um, you know, just uh, hang in there. We're we're working to get you out, and that's it. Once again, folks. Every week, Craig comes on for 15 minutes, and every week he gets to be free enough to speak his mind at risk of. Solitary confinement. He's one of the very few inmates that have been brave enough to get on this call. And he does it every week. We've had a few calls in the past. Uh, one of them got in trouble or got threatened to be in trouble, didn't actually get in trouble, but um, very few and far between do we get anybody that's as brave as Craig and willing to risk uh, solitary by calling into the show and especially by calling to the show every single week. Um, we got to think about Craig. We got to think about everybody that's like him, that's locked up in prison, or maybe they're getting out of prison. Maybe they just got out of prison. The damage that happens to everybody from being locked up is broad reaching. Thank you. Oh, beautiful. Broad reaching and devastating. And I don't know how many uh, stories we've had on this show and, and personal stories of what happens to people that are in prison for long times, especially when they don't deserve to be there. Families walk away from them. Um, stories get told that aren't true. Life's work gets stomped into the ground, erased. You become a nothing. You become a nobody. Um, relationships with family fade, sometimes sour. Personal relationships disappear. The connection, that human connection, it, it's really hard to keep it together really hard to keep it together when you don't have the freedom of any kind to communicate. You know, Craig talks about all of his worldly possessions in a two-foot by three-foot by one-foot box. And I look around one room in my house, and I say to myself, I couldn't do it. I don't know how I would downsize to that place. And I think about the fact that Craig's son passed away while he was locked up and he couldn't do anything about it, being powerless. I, I know of many people whose <clears throat> wives have left them, whose kids won't talk to them, family and friends turn tail and run. And many of them are guilty of something that today, 
you can get a license to do. It doesn't make sense, folks. It doesn't make sense. All right, we're going to go back to Adam. Adam, I've given you your intro. Hopefully everybody uh, remembers. Adam's been a friend of the show. He's a chapter coordinator of our Spokane, Washington chapter, and he's a warrior. Adam Asenberg, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Joe. It's great to hear you again. Well, you know, I have this uh, affliction of verbosity, so I'll likely not stop talking in, until or unless my voice gives out. <laughs> well, that's terrific. You know, one thing you didn't mention was the fact that in between these lawsuits and my criminal trial, after I won my criminal trial, I also went ahead and slapped him in the face by running for sheriff and getting a little over 2,000 votes. You're right. You're right. And, and I uh, I stand corrected. You, and I knew that, and uh, I apologize. I should have brought that up. But that's why I wanted you to tell the story, because you can tell it so much better. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, um, I totally agree with you about my lawyer being mediocre that day. He he decided to really push everything on the First Amendment issue about the county commissioner threatening to have the sheriff arrest me that I was complaining about if I spoke at a county commissioner's meeting. The one thing I really wanted him to bring up, which he never in Washington State, in when I was raided. We had a little RCW clause that stated that medical cannabis patients that were providing to other patients would not be prosecuted. And why that was never raised is totally amazing to me because that would have proved right there that the warrant was clearly invalid, which would clearly show that the rest of my case should have been won. Well, you know, I watched the hearing, and um, again, I didn't have the briefs in front of me. I didn't see what had been filed. I didn't see uh, when 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 people are dealing in the appellate court level, it's not like criminal court or civil court. What they do is uh, the appellant will file an opening brief and that will lay the substance of their case. And then the respondent will file a response, and then the appellant gets to final a file, a final response. And all of this takes time. It takes, in my case, it took over two years. And then once all of the briefs have been filed that outlay the facts of the case, then there's what they call oral arguments. And there's differences to this, but typically there's a panel of three judges that sits in a circuit of the appellate court, and of course they have time to review the briefs um, prior to the oral arguments, and then both sides get a certain amount of time to argue their points. And well, in my case, the the appellate attorney that I had did a really good job. He found my case to be so egregious that he put, I don't know, hundreds of hours into these briefs. 
but I didn't feel in your case, I didn't read the briefs, but the points that your attorney argued seemed like he could have done so much more. I just, I thought to myself, from what you told me about the case, it seemed that there was more to be seen. And the judges... Go ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say there was a lot more to be seen. For instance, with that um, letter that the county commissioners went ahead and sent to me, the judges kept arguing about whether it was a private meeting, a semi-private meeting, or an open meeting, and what constituated each. And my lawyer never could come up with a straight answer for that, which really blew me away because it could have just took a simple phone call to the county commissioner's office from the attorneys to find out just what the policy is. And that policy is simply you call up and request to speak in front of the county commissioners, and that's their only policy. Besides that, it's an open meeting. The judges never bothered to allow for that. And then the second thing that was brought up was my fact of having a seizure while I was in the holding cell, and the judges kept arguing, well, how do you know he had a seizure? And there was never any evidence that was brought up about that because my attorney never bothered to get a video recording from the camera that was in the holding cell. And that should have been brought into evidence. Well, and I feel the other thing, because without having seen the case, when they talked about that, your attorney didn't seem to have much to say. And it made me think that there was something on that video that would have not helped him. But he didn't have anything to say. And, and I, I found that a little troubling. And the, the judges specifically asked him, well, no, no, because he didn't lay that out in his brief, they cautioned him about discussing something that hadn't been addressed is how they they dealt with it. But it was clear that there was some evidence that certainly wasn't brought into this. Yes, which he should have filed, which never got filed, unfortunately. And then the final issue, like I say, is the fact of whether or not the judge, when they created the warrant, had all the facts when they created the warrant. And they kept raising the fact, well, that I had a website advocating medical marijuana. I had a website advocating that I was a medical cannabis dispenser to other patients. And... They never bothered to bring that up to the judge when they created the warrant. And as I say, we had that little RCW clause at the time that said that patients and providers would not be prosecuted. And that is why I feel that should have been a really important part of my case that was raised that never was. Well, I... uh... I, I, I'm assuming they haven't uh, issued their ruling yet? No, they have not issued a ruling, and I will go ahead. If you send me your um, email address, I'll send you a copy of all the briefs and the case and stuff so you can look at it, and we can do another show once the determination is brought in. Yeah, I would love to do that because without seeing that, it's hard. All I have to go on 
is what I saw in about a, I don't know, maybe 15, 20-minute hearing. And, um, you know, there was little, their, their side was arguing the validity of this warrant, um, and that was the gist of what they had to argue. And when it got brought forth, one judge, I mean, the judges didn't seem to be friendly to you particularly, but what I found, and this is what's fucked up, pardon my French, but the appellate court isn't so much concerned with what's right and wrong. The appellate court is concerned with what is the rule. What is the, the, what is the state of the law that specifically allows this to happen or not happen? That's the only thing the appellate court really cares about is was the law being followed, and were you given due process, or were you denied due process? And in and that is where of, that RCW clause would have come in handy. Right, and and that's where if your attorney had clarified that in their briefs, I think that it would have been a, maybe a different outcome. I have to wonder how much time and energy your attorney put into those briefs because there's not like a really quick, quick timeline on this. They give them, you know, a good month from one point to the next or more, and there's always continuances. In my case, like I said, it, it went on two years. Um, so there was plenty of time for everybody to to get their game right, and yet, you know, things were missing. Your attorney didn't seem prepared when he was speaking. He uh, didn't seem like he had all of the answers at his fingertips, and that was concerning to me. I, I, I was embarrassed for him, and I doubt if he was, but I, I was, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad I didn't pay the man. <laughs> That's all I can say. Well, I'm just glad that he did it pro bono to where I'm not paying him either. Right, right. Unfortunately, sometimes you get what you pay for. Well... I, uh, Unfortunately, I I know that there's still an opportunity to move this forward to the Supreme Court if it's denied at the appellate court. Um, I don't know how that process works. Um, I know that if it does go to the Supreme Court, sometimes there is a place for what they call an, an amicus curiae, which is a friend of the court brief that an organization like ours can provide. Um, we we put forth one amicus brief to um, an inmate in a state case, and I don't know if it had an impact or not, but um, it's something we can do sometimes. So um, keep that in mind. I don't know if, if we could have submitted one at the appellate level. I think you can, but again, I don't know these things. I'm not an attorney. <laughs> I should probably get a little better versed. You do pretty good, Joe, for what you do. <laughs> well, <clears throat> you know, it's funny. I've, I've probably sat in more courtrooms than some attorneys have, um, and yet, you know, I watch time after time. Every time somebody comes in and wants to defend themselves in court, they get hammered because, they didn't learn the rules of evidence. They didn't learn the, you know, the, the the rules of introducing things and 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 how to specifically navigate the courtroom. And because of that, they get beat to shit every time. 
uh, with very few exceptions. I wish it wasn't that way. I don't think the, the, the court system by the founders was designed to be that way, but it's become that way for sure. Um, so what's your next step, Adam? I know you got to wait for uh, for their ruling before anything can happen, but where are you at You know, with your whole progress as an advocate? Well, what I've got going now is I'm getting ready to start an organization of medical cannabis patients throughout the state of Washington to come together and talk to their legislators and congressmen and talk about how I-502, the recreational marijuana program, has turned around and hurt patients in many ways that they never did recognize that were going to happen. And hopefully in the next election cycle in 2019, we can get some of these laws changed to help medical patients a little bit better. Well, I think that's a good idea, and I think that, you know, anything – um, that can further the conversation. You know, George Monterano comes on the show, and one of his messages is always we have to keep the conversation going. We have to talk to people about this. We have to keep it going. Our only weapon that we have to end prohibition is the truth. That's the only weapon we have. And yet it's, Well, the only other maybe, thing we're going to do to end prohibition Joe, if you don't mind me interrupting, is to go ahead and say that we need to end this at the federal level. I totally agree. That's the place that it's being prohibited. <laughs> so certainly that's where it needs to be unprohibited. <laughs> so I, I, I totally well, agree. I think either, either it needs to be ended at the federal level or it needs to be ended at the civil level where people just need to stop convicting. People just need to stand up and be as pissed off as when somebody shoots a gun in the in an in a inappropriate way. People should be just as pissed off when somebody gets arrested for a plant in an inappropriate way. And well, see that's I know the, that's I, the problem, Joe. Joe, that's the problem because um, even trying to end it civilly by jur- by doing jury nullification. The issue is that a lot of people at the federal level especially never get to the point to where they are able to have a a jury hearing. A lot of times it's decided by these federal judges that do not care about medical cannabis or recreational cannabis. All they care about is their little private war at the federal level. Well, I totally agree, and yet I think that if there was a civil outrage and there was jurors that were defying the instructions of the judges, it would make the news. And if it became a drumbeat, if it became a mantra, if it became a united voice, it would reach the legislators, and they would make the change because we would be speaking with one voice. I, I know it's a tough thing because it's it's too big for most people to, to put their heads around, but the truth is we could do it. We could do it without a single law being changed. They would change it because they knew it was time. It wouldn't be acceptable anymore. And that's it's 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 a way that I'm never going to give up on. It's our grassroots um, potential. Um, it's not going to happen, even if the law changes. As you know, in many states where they pass laws, there are judges and, and sheriffs and, and lawmakers that simply don't agree with it, and they don't enforce it. They don't allow for it, as you are a victim of. 
you know, this this case right here, it should be cut and dry. The law said they're not supposed to go after you. They shouldn't have gone after you. They did. They should have paid the price for it. But no, you're through the Fed, through the appellate court, now into potentially the the Supreme Court to get that thing that lawfully should have been yours. So I think that there's a lot to be said about changing laws, of course. I'm, I'm not opposed to changing laws by any means, but I just think that if we all just stood up and raised our hands, if we all just started talking, if we all just had this conversation, and if we all just stopped saying guilty, if we ever sat on that jury and there was cannabis and a nonviolent crime being brought into this, I think we would make changes. I think we would. Well, we would, but we've lost a lot of people since recreational cannabis has come around to a lot of different states because people think, well, I can go to a recreational store. It's legal now for me to get this, so what's the big deal? Um, That's why a lot of your I-502 stores are just caring about themselves. They don't care about the patients, and they don't care about total legalization as long as they can have their own little private cut. And if it was more legal, they would go ahead and lose a lot of their business. So they're going to just care about themselves and not about the movement or anything else. Well, you hit the nail on the head, and I I have issued an invitation. I don't want to call it a challenge because I don't want to be adversarial. But I've issued an invitation to any owner of any licensed cannabis business to come on this show and either talk to me about what you're doing to help end prohibition or get educated about what you can do to end prohibition or tell me why you're not doing anything to end prohibition. And it's now, this is the second week of my ongoing invitation, and I haven't got a single taker. Not one owner of one can of business is willing not only to help, because we have ways to help. We have a number of ways to help. Not one is offered to help, not one is offered to come on the show and ask for help, and not one is offered to come on the show and tell me why they don't want to help. I don't know what it is. Maybe I'm not talking loud enough. Maybe I'm not reaching enough people. Maybe there's some other issues. I know this, and you you pointed out a good point, Adam. I know for a fact, because I've witnessed it from more than one side, that licensed providers are ratting out non-licensed providers. They're pointing them out and saying, here they are, they're illegal, go after them, because they find them as competition. They find them as threatening to their way of life. They find them as a threat. (laughs) And I have to think to myself, that's what came out of legalization. You've got patient going after patient. You have... You have... (laughs) <laughs> okay, go, go, go. No problem. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> sorry. <clears throat> you have people that used to stand united in a front now attacking each other because they're fighting over nickels and dimes. And you still have people <clears throat> that are dying <clears throat> from situations, cancers, and other diseases that they don't have to die from. We have doctors that are afraid to talk about this to their patients. We have people that are not willing to take a medicine that could help them because they're afraid. We have veterans that are more afraid of losing their right to 
possess a firearm, then what will happen to their ability to medicate themselves? And they'll choose to keep their firearm and not medicate with cannabis, even though they know that cannabis would help them. All of these choices people have had to make. People have had to choose to move out of horrible places like Oklahoma and Kansas because they've been persecuted, persecuted for even small amounts of cannabis, and they've had to choose either to break the law willingly and risk loss of life, property, children, and so forth, or take the risk of leaving everything you know and moving to a new place that might offer sanctuary. It's ridiculous. And that's what's come of legalization. And it's unfortunately, in my opinion, hurt us at least as much as it's helped us. That's just my opinion. I welcome anybody to come on and explain to me in any way, shape, or form, why does this plant need to be regulated? Why does this plant need to be taxed? Why does this plant need to be restricted in any way? Nobody's done it yet. I welcome you. Please come aboard. You will never well, find anybody, my friend. <laughs> well, I, I, I got to keep offering. I got to keep putting the word out. Hey, if somebody wants to get a hold of you and help out your cause or, or, or participate in your work, um, how do they do it? They can get a hold of me either at Adam Asenberg, that's A-D-A-M-A-S-S-E-N-B-E-R-G, at my Facebook page, or Adam Asenberg at yahoo.com, or they can simply call me at area code 509-288-4799. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Adam. Uh, you are a good man. You're a warrior. I respect the hell out of you, and uh, I'm glad that you're on my side. <laughs> well, I'm thankful that you've been there from the beginning, Joe, and I'll always be there for you too, my friend. I look forward to it. All right, once again, folks, Adam Asenberg from Spokane, Washington. All right, so we've got a topic that we're going to get into about attorneys. And I struggle with this because I don't want to be negative. I don't believe in drawing negativity into things. But sometimes you've got to call a spade a spade. Sometimes you've got to say what's real, say what's happening. And so as much as I open the show up with gratitude and and I have a heart full of gratitude. I, I am here free in in some part because of work that an attorney did. We're going to talk about the broad strokes of why do attorneys suck. I'm sorry. If you're an attorney and you don't suck, call in. Explain to me why you don't. I, there's a few. Again, I, I, I have had attorneys on the show that I respect, that I wish there were more of, but there's such a small percentage. I want to bring up another point though, before I jump into the attorney uh, pit. Um, it has to do with the way we think. It has to do with priorities. It has to do with what pisses us off. And why don't we be honest about things? And I recognize there are hot buttons for people. Some people, it's guns. Some people, it's immigration. Some people, it's um, specific rights to specific groups of people. There's all sorts of hot-button issues that, that people have. But I have to wonder, why don't we deal with our emotional responses 
based on sex. For example, we have all of these angry people that are angry about gun violence. Okay? I'm not saying you don't have a violent point. I mean, a valid point. I'm not saying that gun violence is okay by any means. No violence is okay. There is no inappropriate behavior that is okay. That's, that's, that's an obvious point. This isn't something we need to discuss. But if we're going to target the problems that are most prevalent, why don't we be honest? I just got a stat this morning that said every single day, nine people die as a result of car accidents connected to people texting and driving. Nine people a day. I don't think nine people a day die from gun violence in America. Maybe they do. If they do, we should be equally upset. But I don't see anybody coming out there and saying, we need to regulate phones. We need to regulate cars. We need to make people be accountable. We don't do that. You know what you get? If you get caught texting and driving, you get a goddamn ticket. Okay? You get a $200 ticket. You go to court. You pay it. You're done. You're done. Okay? I was hit by a woman that I am certain was texting when she creamed me from behind when everybody else stopped. But she didn't. I can't prove it. I didn't even try but I know she was, based on her reaction and how she hit me. She was looking down at her fucking phone. Okay? People are walking into cars. People are falling off of bridges. People are stuck in this position. And they're not paying attention to anything. But there's not people in the street marching about that because they're all busy doing it too. So I'm just wondering... Why do we shift our focus to certain little hot-button topics, and yet we don't address the real problems in front of us sometimes? Let's look at the numbers. How many people are arrested today in America for nonviolent crimes, especially pot crimes? Why aren't we upset about that? I don't know. I don't have anybody willing to come on the show and explain that. Nobody wants to give me a reason. All of these things that I bring up, never once. Anybody, hey, I've got a good point. Let me talk about it. I gladly would let you talk about it. Go find somebody, folks. Let's hear about it. Or why aren't we doing something? I just don't know. Why aren't you pissed off? Why aren't you pissed off enough to get out there and do something? I don't understand. Remember, if you've got something to say, pick up the phone and dial 646-929-2495. This show is brought to you by the Human Solution and the Coffee Party Radio Network. And I'm very grateful, again, to the Coffee Party for giving us a place to put this show and giving us a place to make this thing happen. I think it's a magical thing we do. I think it's an important thing we do. And I think that the more of you participate, the better it is. So. I've only got one more person slated to speak right now. That's Tom Corby. He's good for 10 to 15 minutes. i got 43 minutes left on the show. So I'm going to do my rant about lawyers. 
how far that goes. And I'm going to give Tom Corby a chance to speak. And if George Martorano calls in, I know his mom has been um, very ill, and I don't know if he's going to be able to join us um, right now. Hopefully she's doing better. But um, we may cut it short today. So, lawyers, if you stop and you think about lawyers, and you stop and you think about justice, and if you've ever spent time in court, and if you've ever um, dealt with the justice system, you will see some similarities. Um, there are certain types of minds that can associate things and see connections and see things in ways that other people can't. If you have that kind of ability, um, look at the way our government is set up. Look at how the rule of law is set up. Look at how our justice system is set up. Look at how our judicial system, our penal system, look at how all of these systems that affect citizens in such a dramatic way are set up. And ask yourself, what is the common thread? Lawyers. Lawyers. <laughs> I have had experiences with lawyers that were amazing. I had a lawyer that was willing to take my case for a very reasonable amount of $10,000. At the time, I was willing to uh, raise that money. He was willing to take payments. Now, when they arrested me, they took all my money, so I didn't have any, but I paid him what I could every week. I lived poor, but I paid the lawyer. And that lawyer took that $10,000 and made appearances to Riverside County Court for uh, about nine months. And we filed a couple of motions, and uh, ultimately, as I did huge amount of work in the case to build it because I was a defendant. I was the one that was going to go to jail if I lost. He was able to articulate to the judge and to the prosecutor that maybe you guys don't want to take this one, and ultimately they dismissed it. And the judge uh, made an order dismissing my case with prejudice, finding me in full compliance with California law. And I had a, a, a printed order that stated as such. And not only that, but he ruled a complete return of my property. Congratulations. Was that worth $10,000? It was to me. Was it really worth $10,000? I don't know. If you work it, how many hours did this guy actually work? He got paid probably a lot of money, maybe $1,000 an hour, at least $500 an hour. And yeah, I guess people say they're worth that. Okay. Freedom is a precious thing. It's worth whatever it costs. But unfortunately, if you don't have that kind of money, you're not likely to get that kind of justice. You know, you look at, at high-profile cases like the O.J. case. Do you think if O.J. didn't have the millions of dollars it cost to hire that dream team that he had, that he would have walked out a free man? Probably not. Probably not. They had a pretty compelling case. But he bought some good justice. There's a number of cases beyond that that have been the same. Get a good enough lawyer, a set of lawyers, you can win. Sometimes just by them showing up. <laughs> In my case, though that was my first case, I got dismissed. 
And then I got raided, and uh, the second case came up. The second case was a little more complicated than the first case. My co-defendant um, got one lawyer, and I got another. And his lawyer charged him $50,000. $50,000 to represent him in this case. Now, granted, it was a difficult case. It was... Uh, an 18-day-long trial. My lawyer, same lawyer, only charged me $25,000. Still owe him some money because I couldn't raise $25,000. I paid him, I don't know, I think I, I came up about five, dollars $6,000 short. So I paid him over $20,000. And I got that before there was any GoFundMes or stick-your-damn-hand-out, hand-me-money account. We worked for it. We put on events, talks. I sold tamales. I went and picked up people's aluminum cans. I mean, we did whatever it took to raise money. We had fundraisers. We had events. We we worked hard. We had bingo nights. We had poker nights. We did everything we could think of. And we raised about 20 grand over the course of a year. Uh, it wasn't easy. My partner borrowed a bunch of money from his parents and paid his 50 grand. <laughs> you would think with a total of $75,000 put into an attorney fund that you'd have some attorneys on the ball. I mean, on the ball. Motions filed on time. Nobody's late for anything. Everything totally prepared ahead of time. Not anything being done at the last second. No. No, that's not what happened. My or my partner's attorney on especially was uh, chastised by the judge, I don't know how many times, for showing up late, being disheveled, just not being prepared. She had moments of brilliance. I will obviously give her that. I love her <coughs> because of some very bold and daring things she did that were successful. She had a part of my spirit in her. My attorney was a good order. Could he have done better? I don't know. I think he could have. If he was fighting for his mom or if he was fighting for himself, maybe he would have done a better job. At the end, or no, no, in the process of this, I was denied a medical defense. Just as Adam was supposed to be given a medical defense, I was too. But they denied me. The judge just didn't like this, and he didn't like me, and he didn't want me to be able to present a defense. When that happened, I went to my attorney, what do we do? And my attorney said to me, and I remember this so vividly, as I'm preparing to go into court to fight a pure jury nullification battle because I wasn't going to bow, and at this point I had no defense, my lawyer looked at me and he said, the only thing you can do is file a writ with the appellate court. And I can't do that. It costs $10,000. And you don't have it. And I said, wow, <laughs> great. Oh, well, I guess we'll just go to battle with nothing. <clears throat> Fortunately, my co-defendant's attorney did that writ. And fortunately, we were able to join it without me having to file my own. And in a series of miracles, the appellate court picked up on a writ prior to a trial and ruled in our favor, gave me that defense. So for that, 
I consider my co-defendant's attorney brilliant, and she didn't charge $10,000 extra to do that. But when everything came down to it, at the end, my attorney took the stand, which has never happened, shouldn't have happened, and put himself in a position where he couldn't, even after we won, mistrial, essentially, after I was convicted, he made it to where he couldn't represent me the second time, even though he knew my case intimately. He was so familiar with my case, he just couldn't do it. Because he couldn't do it for that little money is what it boiled down to. Now, if I had $100,000, he could have easily done it. But he just couldn't do that. Now, again, he's a good guy in his own right, done some good things for some people, <laughs> represented me in an aluminum can case that was ridiculous, but he made a couple of appearances. Ultimately, they dropped that case. But I watched intimately as these attorneys were ill-prepared. Their motions were never filed on time. They were never ready. They were never on the ball. As if everything counted, as if everything mattered, we walk in, Your Honor, we filed everything in a timely fashion. We're ready to argue. Here's all of our points. Here's everything that we need. No, it was never that. And it's never been that in any court I've ever sat in, ever. Okay, and I've sat in a lot of courts. It's never been that. Why aren't lawyers that represent cannabis cases, why don't they care the same way that they would if they were defending themselves? I don't know. I've seen lawyers that are good, that get a little name for themselves, <laughs> do a little pro bono work, which, of course, I applaud. But then the pro bono work goes to a point, and then everything after that, $10,000, $10,000. I need a motion for this. No problem. I'll do your motion, $10,000. We need this, $10,000. We need that, $10,000. I just, you know, I can't understand that. Um, attorneys get a name for themselves. They take on way too many cases. They just are collecting those retainers, one after another after another. They always have time for that initial consultation. <coughs> then you try to reach them. They don't answer their phone. I was fortunate. My attorney I could reach. But I've watched, I don't know, how many defendants that we've helped, how many people that we've got out. They won't answer the phone. Send them emails. Eventually they'll they'll respond. But it's, it's, it's pathetic. And we're the chumps. We're the chumps. It always works out where um, somehow the attorney is late, disheveled, not prepared, and we're the one that suffers for it. Prosecutors, they're always on time. They're always prepared. I've watched prosecutor after prosecutor be ready. Very seldom do they file a motion uh, for a continuance because they're not ready. I don't know why that is. I don't think it has to be that way. And once again, we do have exceptions to that. Uh, we do have a few attorneys. I know there's an attorney up in Northern California that's done some really good work. Um, and then we got 
Janani, who's done a lot of work for um, for uh, family law. She's taken on some pro bono work, and Joseph Tolley has has got a great record up there in Northern California. I mean, I give props where it's due. Um, but frankly, I watch these attorneys that used to uh, advertise vigorously defending these cases, and uh, now they're busy uh, working compliance. They're helping you start your business. They're going to consult you as to the way to legally operate your new cannabis business. And they're driving their new Lamborghinis, and they're engaged in their own way. Um, these are my experiences. I've watched attorneys, uh, public defenders are typically the worst, although in a, in, a, in a rare twist, I've seen some of the best work that I've seen done by attorneys, done by public defenders. Uh, once or twice, maybe maybe three times, but twice for sure, come to mind where a public defender cared. And they're overworked and underpaid, and they don't have the resources to do a good job. But for whatever reason, they chose a case, and they put the effort in. That's the difference. They put the effort in. And I've seen some victories come at the hand of public defenders um, that have impressed the hell out of me. So, again, I'm painting with a broad brush, but let's take it to the next level, okay? So you have this complicated court system. You can't navigate without. I've never seen anybody effectively take on a criminal case pro se, proper. doesn't happen. Nobody does it. The courts hate it. The courts will destroy you every single time. You try to do that. You won't be able to introduce your evidence because you don't know how. You're going to think you're brilliant in your motions. They'll be ridiculous. Um, you have to have case law. You have to. That's where the the law school comes in. The rules of court. How to write these motions. Yeah, practice, practice, practice makes perfect. You can't come in and defend yourself for the first time and think you're going to be a wizard at it. it isn't going to happen. So we rely on these lawyers. Well, lawyers are making a living. Lawyers went through a lot of school that's expensive. Lawyers accomplish something that most of us don't. They pass the bar. But there's an arrogance among lawyers that is unparalleled, except for maybe by doctors. And I can remember one attorney in, in, in particular, in a case we were supporting, and this lawyer was not participating, was not being available, and I, I offered my services to help maybe help this attorney to see some opportunities of some defense uh, strategies that I was aware of. And that lawyer said to me, you, Mr. Grumbine, do not get to talk to me. He said, you have not passed the bar, so therefore you do not get to talk to me. And I said, well, fuck you very much, and I hung up on him. But he was the only one that actually said it. Now, he was a cokehead and probably was 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 jacked up on, on cocaine at the time. But he said out loud what so many of them obviously think, the way that they condescendingly <laughs> interact with us unwashed, non-bar passers. And again, I'm just operating from observation. I'm 
reporting what I've seen. I could be wrong. And again, I'm painting with a giant broad brush, and there are attorneys that do not meet that description. You're absolutely right. And I think that's part of the problem. I think that's what we're facing. I think that's part of why we're getting our asses kicked. And then we take it up to the next level. We go, lawyers are defense attorneys. I'm particularly railing on them. And then we have prosecutors who get paid to prosecute us. Well, they do a pretty good job most of the time. <laughs> then prosecutors become judges. Judges are one of the most powerful positions in our government. Do they legislate from the bench? Sometimes. Do they offer their own opinion rather than what they're supposed to be doing? Sometimes. Judges run for higher office. They become state representatives. They become congresspeople. They become governors. And they strive to be president. And the legislators, they make laws. They get paid to make laws. That's their job as a legislator. You're a lawmaker. Now, you're a lawmaker and a lawyer. I have to think that unless you're an exceedingly amazing person, you're going to act somewhat in your own best interest, being that you're typically pretty smart as having passed the bar, <laughs> and you're somewhat powerful having being an elected official, um, is there a chance for corruption there? Maybe. Maybe this web of laws that we've created for our nation and for other nations Maybe it's a little self-serving. Look at who benefits and who suffers from any number of laws, any number of, of, of legal situations. Business law is ridiculous. Um, civil law, criminal law, health and safety laws. I mean, I'm not saying they're all wrong. I'm saying we've got books that are thousands of pages deep. Maybe we didn't need that many. Didn't Moses come down with two tablets? Covered a lot of crap. Pretty much covered most of it. You could simplify this maybe pretty well. I think that if we examine the way that our nation is run, that, that, that the rule of law is, I'm not advocating not to have a rule of law. I'm advocating that we make ourselves aware of what's going on, why it's going on, and maybe what we can do about it. Why do we keep electing these imbeciles? I have a congressman by the name of Ken Calvert. He's a douchebag. But yet, every four years, I see his signs go up. Every two years, four years, whatever it is, it doesn't even matter. I see his signs go up. And every year, there he is, the incumbent. He doesn't want anything to do with our rights. We've written to him numerous times. Now, he doesn't even support... The legislation that would give the states the rights. Oh, no, his answer is, <clears throat> I'm sorry, but I advocate for people, and cannabis is drugs, and drugs is bad. That was essentially his response. And when you reply deeper with a little bit more, he comes back with a little more articulate version of the same thing. No, I'm sorry, it's federally illegal, and I'm sworn to uh, uphold the federal law. Okay. You're certainly not representing me. 
And I hope one day somebody beats your ass, and maybe there's somebody else in that seat. But since I've been living where I live, Ken Calvert, he's my guy. No, he's not. No, he's not. All right. Anybody have anything to say about attorneys? I'd certainly love to hear it. I got Stacy Swanson Kraus going to come on for a minute. Before she does, I want to talk about defendants and my frustration with defendants. As I have been a defendant and I have advocated for defendants for many, many years. I know what it takes to be successful. I know what it takes to win. I know what it takes. Knowing what it takes and having tools for that to happen and having an organization that can help make that happen it could be a no-brainer. No, it's not. I have defendants call me up all the time, and I used to go, oh, I'm going to engage you. I'm going to help you. Tell me about your case. We'll defend you. We'll get in there and help you. Only to find when it's all said and done, you get kicked on and stomped, and, and, and somehow it's your fault that something didn't happen the way they thought it was going to. So we changed tactics. And after a while of that happening, we changed it and said, if you were willing to fight and you are willing to engage us and you're willing to follow some direction, we can teach you how to do this. And it's been much more successful. We've had no more complaints about this. We've had a lot fewer people do it because I start from the very beginning. It's going to be a lot of work. It's going to be difficult. You're going to lose a lot of friends. It's going to be arduous. But if you got the heart, you can win. If you engage a group like ours, you can do it. You can win. We can offer you some of the tools to help push you up over the edge. But so few are willing to do that. I don't know what it is. They got their little egos in it somehow. They think Facebook's going to save them or something. I don't know what it is. But what it takes to win a case is you need to vehemently defend yourself, you need to make your attorney realize that they need that they're employed by you and they need to vehemently defend you. You need to have the support of your community. You need to get the support of your community. And if you really want to be successful, get a group or two that advocate civil rights to be there on your behalf and represent them. For whatever reason, lately, that's been very difficult to see happen. Although when it does, it's successful. We got a list of wins, mile deep, check, 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 check. When these things happen and they line up this way, we win. That's all I'm saying. All right, Stacy swanson Kraz. Another warrior. She's a little bit nutty. She's a little bit angry. She is amazing in her own right. She has the ability to do anything, as as I've witnessed. I've fought alongside Stacy in Kansas. I've watched her champion other cases. I've watched her navigate the loopholes, um, lose it sometimes, come back always to center, and she knows the, she knows the, the, the plan. She knows how to make this work. And she's in Colorado right now trying to make it work. What's going on, Stacey? Well, I'm actually in Wichita, Kansas, but I'm headed to Colorado oh, this weekend. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't know you were uh, it's okay. 
And I'm sorry you're in Kansas. It's okay because no one goes this way. No one goes from here to there with weed, so I'm all good. Um, oh, perfect. But <laughs> unless they're crazy. Um, <laughs> so I wanted to give a holler out for the um, public defenders that do do their job and are there for um, clients because I had one. And I learned court yes. support back in like 2002 to 2004 or so. And then I met you through YouTube first. And I I needed to learn how to do jury nullification. So um, that's how I found you. And then you ended up in Kansas, and here we are. So are. <laughs> um, Ron was coming on. Ron was coming on tonight, I thought, but he thought I meant next week. So there was a little problem there. Yeah, I'll be there. I know. So I and so I'm we're rescheduling for next week and we have a court case the 15th and that's just a motions hearing and then we will have trial April 23rd through the 26th from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. in Golden, Colorado, Jefferson County Courthouse. And um, I'm and I did. I want to give a holler out to uh, Melody Cashian too. She she yeah. probably needs to call in next week too because she's got a case. I think it's the 18th of April in Tennessee. Okay. Yeah. And yes, and I apologize for um, everyone <laughs> coming through, but uh, it was a. I guess someone didn't realize it was Wednesday. It's all good. It happened. Um. But, yes, court support is, I mean, and then, you know, like today I messaged you a couple things, you know, a couple signs, and I'm like, um, which one of these am I going to go to jail for? <laughs> and, you know, I just kind of I just kind of needed the clearance of, uh, you know. Um, well, a messaging is very important. If you if you screw up your messaging, it can be construed as jury tampering. If, it, if it's construed yes. as jury tampering and they can tie your message to that, um, you can be facing some serious problems. Yes. And I remember when we were doing um, jury nullification in front of the Sedgwick County Courthouse here in Wichita, Kansas, there was a guy going for to jail in Denver for it, and he had set up yep. a jury info booth in front of the 18th District Court. Yep. So that's why I started YouTubing you. Well, I YouTubed anyone that was doing it successfully, but then that's how we found you. Um, But it does work. Yes, and it does work. It does work. And, you know, if we just give in and take pleas, that doesn't, that's not going, and that's not getting us anywhere in the end. I mean, yes, we need to keep everyone out of jail, but paying these attorneys and them not, answering the phone, them not calling you back, them not staying in touch with you, you not even knowing what you should do next or, you know, just keeping like the people that I help, I have to kind of, I give them guidance and usually if they'll take that and run with it, it works, you know? And since I've been through it myself, I know how big the lockers are in federal prison. (laughs) Exactly. And and I know it really sucks there. And every time I hear that call call from a federal prison when I am on the show and I hear that, it just sends like a vibration through my 
body of what they did to me, and it makes me want to fight more. So there comes the anger, but, um, you know, they took away part of my life. Yep. And you'll never get that And they stole, and they stole, you know, that time away from my children, and it wasn't right. So, um, you know, here I am to fight. And thank you for everything you've taught me. And I hope this all goes well <laughs> on well, this next I, I case. They follow your guidance, which you have personal experience and the experience of, that we've brought into this together. If Watching they follow you. This, it can happen. It can happen. And, 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 well, not just watching me, but being part of it. The, the Kansas case was, was a landmark case. It was a textbook. We did a textbook execution, and we got a textbook result. That's what happened. It was yes. the perfect storm. Yes. We did it right, and it worked. And it can happen again. It can happen everywhere we go. It can almost happen easier today because in Kansas, there wasn't anything really. The, the community of Kansas isn't pro-pot, generally speaking. There are communities that are, that are pro-pot, but generally speaking, this wasn't supported it but we were able to bring the message outside of that and get to the bigger cause and get to the the right of these people and the wrong of that law that they were trying to bring into it and it really wasn't even about God I mean it was but it wasn't they were they were they were bringing forth a bad law that shouldn't have been able to be applied in that situation and the jurors got it because of us being there and they knew that they could stand up and nullify it and that was one of the things that the attorney did brilliantly, even though I have issues with this attorney as well, but she did that one thing. <laughs> is she, took a, she took advantage of a weakness in them and a strength of us. And when we had our messaging up on top of that, that uh, parking structure and they complained about it, it opened a door for her to get that jury nullification <laughs> into that courtroom and allow it, and the judge had to let it be explained. And that was that one moment of brilliance that, to me, gave her a special place yes. in my heart, just like the other one I was talking about. Me too. One moment of brilliance could bring you a lot of love. <laughs> so That's true. Anyway, well, I, I, I know that, that if we can just turn our focus back on the work at hand, and hopefully we can get some momentum by some of these um, – people that think they're immune by some of these people that are paying a lot of money to be a quote unquote legal business to get back into being active a little bit and to help finish the job, not just secure their own future, um, but make a place where it's not possible to get locked up for this plant anymore. You know, I I heard a a story from a defendant and they thought they weren't, doing anything wrong where they were at. And I think to myself, that is the most naive, uh, fairly unbelievable thing because it doesn't matter where you're at. The federal law has never changed. And to think that you're okay because your state said something when the federal law hasn't changed is, again, naive would be the nicest thing I could say about it. And so we need to step up our own game. We need to realize what is really at risk as we're going forth and, and bringing these freedoms even farther down, we need to still realize that this battle is still playing itself out, and it's long from over. To think that I need to travel from Wichita, Kansas, to Colorado, Denver, Colorado, 
to fight a case is ridiculous. I mean, we're fighting in a free, I'm going to have to go from an unfree state to a free, supposedly free state to fight a case. That's yeah, ridiculous. That, that is, and I feel that like is, I'm fighting pharma. I don't feel like I'm fighting just the activists and just the people that won't pay attention and just, I feel like I'm fighting pharma. Yeah, it's crazy because, I mean, at least where I'm coming from, I'm in a somewhat free state. So for me to go out and, and go to a non-free state, hey, that makes kind of sense. At least, at least you know, I've got some kind of freedom. But, yeah, like you're saying, you're coming from a completely uh, uh, dark ages state and going to a state where everybody thinks everything's great <laughs> to help them get their own civil rights back. It's, it's ludicrous on so many levels. Very, and it has been like, and the whole movement, you know, it's always an up and down, up and down thing, and, um, you know, I I see this as like them trying to take down caregivers in the end. This is their first, you know, there's one, this is one of many cases where they're trying to show, you know, that there was negligence when really that had nothing to do with, nothing to do with this case. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, I've seen the, I've seen the discovery their case is crap, and why why this thing hasn't been pushed out of the way pre-trial is beyond me. I'm I'm disappointed in the in the. Well, I don't feel like the attorneys fighting. One more point I want to make about attorneys and why they suck. Generally, generally speaking, attorneys don't really want our help. Attorneys typically no. don't want courtroom support because they're afraid of what we might do. And it's a difficult thing because you have a defendant <laughs> obviously needing the counsel of their attorney or believing they need the counsel, and the attorney will tell them, nope, just let me handle this. Don't bring those people in here. And then the other side of it is we've got experience in a, in a rack of wins that says, well, when you do it right, it can work every time. And then the defendant gets stuck between having to choose these things. So, it doesn't make it easy, but, um, you know, what's right is right, what works works, and what sucks sucks. So are you right, though? Or when the attorney's telling them that they, they can't know the minimum mandatory, and I'm going, oh, yes, they will. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and that's the thing, though. That's one of the reasons that, uh, you know, so many bad decisions get made because people don't realize what's at stake, and that's ridiculous. I've watched it in federal cases over and over, and the judge will – specifically not allow that jury to know what's at stake. And then they go and convict them and they'll find out that, whoops, you got 17 years. Whoops, you got 10 years. Whoops, you got life. And too Over late, too a plant. To... Over a plant. Well, Stacy, it's always a treat to have you on the show, and uh, I'm glad that you're on my side as well. <laughs> I wouldn't want oh, to be you. Always. <laughs> Thank you, Joe. All right. Hey, Stacy, if somebody wants to get in uh, involved in Kansas or Colorado and wants to help out, how would they reach you? Uh, THSI Midwest at gmail.com. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, thank you so much, and I look forward to hearing next week the details from the defendant. That sounds great. Thank you so much, and everyone, for understanding. You betcha. All right, Stacy Swanson Crafts from Wichita, Kansas. All right, we're now down to seven minutes. Of course, we went from too much time to not enough time. We got Glenn Keeling and Tom Corby to close down the show. Glenn Keeling up first, 
from Ohio, and uh, Glenn is part of the Creative Care Beacon chapter of Ohio, a warrior, as I've described in the past, and uh, starting to pick up the pieces a little bit. What's going on today, Glenn? Oh, not much, Joe. How are you guys tonight? Uh, my voice is holding on better than uh, last week, for sure. I hear that. It, it, it sounds better this week, though. Um, yep. Yeah. I, I just know that, you know, listening to you talk, I, I'm grateful to have the human solution. Uh, I'm I'm grateful to have the radio show um, and, and what you do every single week, you know, for everybody all the time. Uh, and I'm, I don't think you get enough of that. But yeah, we I really greatly appreciate what you have done with the show, you know, for you being there, um, and everything that's gone on so far. Um, it's just given me the will to keep fighting and and keep going forward, uh, despite everything that we're going through. Well, that's what this is all about, Glenn. Is if we all stand together. You know, there's a thing that happens. If you get a group of people together and you all go back to back, you can literally support each other's weight by just leaning on each other. And if you look up the word support, it it, it exemplifies that. It's the act of, of uh, holding somebody up, of being there for them. But the same thing happens. They, in turn, are holding you up. And it's such a simple equation and it's such a simple act that's so rewarding that all we're trying to do is get it to catch on. All we're trying to do is get enough people to recognize its value. And I want to thank you personally, and I, I, sorry I screwed up, and I, they got away from me, and I didn't get the names. But why don't you read off the names of the five, five, five new members that you signed up a couple weeks ago? Um, it would be Ellen Dix, Sue, and Dave Kimmel. Uh, Peggy and myself. Beautiful. So that's five new members, folks, five new members from Ohio, and we are so damn proud of that. <laughs> you know, I, I I am so proud to be a part of this family and the, the people that have um, gotten it. You know, it's one of these things, you know, there's all these, like, secret societies. There's the Skull and Bones and the Masons and the and the you know the the the, the muckety mucks or whoever it is and all there are these secret societies that if you if you uh, find them and then you learn the way and you get your guru and you read your books and you go through your initiations and you get through all this crap you find the source of whatever knowledge it is that that these things are holding but the truth is we got the same stuff only it's just as good if not better. And it's just right there to be taken. It's such a simple, such a simple concept of be good to each other. I think there was the Bill and Ted's uh, excellent adventure. You know? Be excellent to each other. It's it's really that simple. Be loving. Oh, that yeah. was the one rule of the household. It's that simple. You know, do unto others as as you'd have them do to you. I mean, it's such a simple way to think, and it doesn't have to be get tied up into um, into specifics of a spiritual path or anything like that. It's general goodness. It's general morality, general humanity. That's the human solution. There's the secret, folks. It's the human. <laughs> or as Tom Corby would say, the humane solution. 
It's true. It's it's that thing that makes us unique in the world among animals is our ability to understand that we exist and second that we understand that others exist and that we can affect others, that we understand that. And to do that and to take that action takes us to a whole nother place. And that's what the human solution is all about. So Glenn, you exemplify that and we're so proud to have you be part of us. Well thank you. Thank you. I, I'm so glad that you know and, and proud to be part of something bigger um than me. The human solution is bigger than all of us. It, it you know it can take it takes all of us together to make human solution what it is. And, and I'm so glad that, you know there's such a great group of people that is behind the scenes and it is leading this charge on the prohibition. Uh, a great group, great, great group, group of people that is is working with the human solution. Um, education. If somebody wants to get a hold of you to help out in Ohio, how would they do it? Uh, you can go to the uh, Creative Care Beacon Human Solution International Chapter of Ohio. Uh, you can find me on Facebook, pretty easy to do. Or you can just simply give me a call at 419-863-0498. The response time is very quick. That is fantastic, and that's exactly what we need. When somebody reaches out, we got to respond, and <laughs> that's it. We're a lifesaver. When somebody's drowning, it doesn't, they don't have long to swim in that water. And uh, when you can make a call or, or put a message out and have somebody reach out and grab you, it is indeed that creative care beacon. Well, Glenn, thank you so much, and our best to Peggy and the rest of the clan, and uh, look forward to talking to you tomorrow morning. Right on. Yes, sir, absolutely. And you guys have a great evening, and thanks for having me on. You betcha. All right, we got Tom Corby to wrap up the show here. And here we go, Tom Corby. Welcome to the show, my friend. Oh, thank you, Joe. The Coffee Party Radio and the Human Solution International Radio for another historical show. Also, all those on the front line coming together to end prohibition and free all our POWs. Uh, hey, Tom, hold on one second, one second. I just want to make an announcement. George Marcherano sure. just joined the show, and we're going to run a little bit long. So George is going to close the show down. And go ahead, Tom. I just want whoever's listening right now to stick on the line. Um, George is going to be here to wrap it up. All right, go ahead, Tom. Sorry about that. All right, great. George Monterano, shout out, uh, 33 years, fed prison, and uh, coming for other prisoners, defendants now. Uh, I talked about my story last week. I'm going to cut to the chase. Approximately uh, six years ago, I joined the human solution after Don and I went to jail here in Butte County for four days. Uh, it was about two months later. And uh, Joe was on the cannabis dice uh, uh, up in uh, Montana, Chris Williams, and they they went to Oregon and uh, on the bus, and then Joe came down through here and persuaded him to stop. Uh, they they stopped here the cannabis did overnight, eleven of them, and at that point there was only one chapter. California chapter 
six ten. We just joined in NorCal Human Solution. And uh, we're now six chapters national. I think that's uh says a lot. Um uh, Dana Bill I wanna bring up I was up with uh, with Frank and Ann with me. Uh, I was up there for his uh yeah, Frank. Hey Joe. <laughs> yeah, we love you guys. All right. Love so we back. were up there for Benno's uh, uh, congratulation party up there with the usual group. Uh, we promoted some. Uh, we're getting together with uh, Tabitha Toms, uh, James Benno, uh, Brenda Young, and them up there to help uh, muster core support for Dana Bill and Mendocino County. Uh, and also, uh, somehow we need to get the local course support started there and hay for Wheatville for Dana. Uh, I, I believe that uh, Tabby said sent me the information going back, uh, probably just another motion hearing. Uh, I think I believe on the 24th April. Did you hear that? Uh, yeah, Frank, yeah, I believe so. Uh, so uh, and we'll try to get up there if we can. But that is actually just a three-hour drive from here. Even even ready, uh, it's almost an hour over the mountain time to get in there. So it's really even ready. It's really not local core support. But Tabby said we can probably get a car load to go over for Dana uh, when we talk about uh, lawyers. Trial did not become a real important time when you have all the the motion hearings. It's so important to try to. Get to the local people because it's it's such a hardship. People taking days off of work, people putting putting in you know a lot of money into gas and driving for hours and hours. And you got to think within 10 or 20 miles of the place, there's got to be people that care. <laughs> That's our biggest concern in getting a case supported is finding that 20 miles or better support. That's that's the that's the hardest part of this whole thing. Well, and that's true. That most defendants at first don't understand uh, that yeah we do have to save our energies, our money, and all our time for priorities. Uh, we bring up lawyers, like you said, most of them take the money and run. He again makes three times as much. They deal you out. Uh, our minds bad, Joe's bad from the from the from the get go. If uh, more people like Frank and Ann, uh, Nick Ring, uh, Alex Lyons, Benno, uh, all the all the folks that take them on to trial, we wouldn't be here today. They can't do it. We proved that up here in uh, Butte County. Uh, we that, that, that we used to be in. I used to be in uh, court sometimes uh, every day, all week long, uh, whether it was in Butte County, Sandy County, or Stafford. Uh, anymore, I really don't have any faith. Uh, what's that state? Because all, uh, since uh, now that Daniel's uh, back down, back them down in Shafter County up there, Grant one has had that acquittal here. Uh, Lincoln Ann and others are dismissed. That's a huge precedent when we take them on to trial. Uh, totally is definitely an exception. Uh, ben, uh, I have not lose the trial yet. Uh, here's a point we can make out to defendants. Uh, we, we're not lawyers. 
but we can advocate. We can give you ba- basic uh, foundation legal strategies that will help get you started. Uh, at first, I, I would recommend not even spending any money for an attorney right off the bat. Uh, let, let, let the courts find you a public defender. Uh, you can use that public defender. Believe me, we have, we have some good ones now. Uh, also, uh, you have to follow behind them uh, and make sure that they're uh, doing what you want them to do and they're filing, filing on, in a timely manner. Uh, you can also file yourself. Uh, this is really not that hard. Well, what is hard, and you brought out today, Joe, is self-representation. Close to pro per. Uh, I almost did that on my case. Uh, I'm finding got uh, John Fury coming for me. It's a, it's a tough road to hold because uh, these attorneys, the DAs, prosecution they went to school it's really easy for them to trip you up uh, don't forget to breathe Tom you're, you're so, breaking up pretty bad about now yeah about now. let's let's go ahead and, 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 and take it home because I got George still going to come on and we're we're now getting deep into the overtime oh, okay so I'll cut to the chase so uh, Richard Hemsley uh, it uh, comes up again for uh, the third Marston motion hearing, uh, uh, April this Friday, uh, April 6th at 9 a.m., and that's 501 uh, I Street, Sacramento. That's the federal court building. When we said federal, it's a, a whole different ballgame. It's a tough road to hold. We know that. Uh, this judge, I kind of like him because he is trying to tell Richard that you, you really uh, uh, you can't do that. You're going to be found guilty. And uh, not that the judge is literally saying he will find you guilty, but he is, like Joe said, he's just another DA. And, and believe me, uh, in my letter here, I have to him, I'm pointing out uh, that maybe he should be listening to uh, the judge. Uh, this given uh, uh, Richard a chance. Uh, I think officer also he offered a hire uh, to uh, give him some um, uh, you know, hire uh, uh, He spent at least 10, uh, Alex wasn't sure, uh, he spent at least uh, $10,000 already on this journey. Uh, uh, so, yeah, a lot of times, I just don't think you need to come right out and spend a lot of money. Uh, when you really need attorney is when you go to trial, and then a lot of them say, I wish they'd have had Tully in the first place. The, I, we're writing letters. I want to read this real quick. Is that okay, Joe? To Richard. Go ahead. And, uh, also, we're, also, we're working on character reference letters. Uh, yo, Richard, just a note to reassure you that many of us are thinking of you, my friend. Uh, it's always good to let defendants know in there that they haven't been forgotten. Uh, we honor you for standing your ground, taking Nevada City County on to trial. For why would you accept the deal knowing you stay within the laws and the guidelines? Considering also in your case, there's no real direct evidence, rather only substantial, reasonable doubt plays a big role here. Uh, Alex 
talk to Alan, Sue, Colm, Frank, and Ann. Uh, your sister, Teresa, and I were there for your Mars and Ocean hearing 9 a.m. 15, 18. Uh, to let you know we're there for you. Having us out from the jail that day, Alex reassured me that he gave us a thumbs up. Although we don't ordinarily track the distance for court support, uh, but rather muster local court support for uh, promotion. Uh, uh, with automatic situation which most of them are as well that we must save our, our money time and priorities prelims and especially jury trial uh, we are however must local court support in Sacramento with Dr. Allen uh, Betty Gray although we understand I'm you're cracking you. up really bad. I'm gonna to have to cut you loose. I just can't. I can't hear what you're saying. How about now? It's just really crackly, Tom. Why, why don't we go ahead and wrap it up? I just, it's, it's, I, we just can't hear you. I don't understand why, Joe. I don't know. It's just fading in and out. It's flickering. Well, anyway, uh, how about now? Can you hear me now? All right, keep going. Go ahead. Anyway, I just told him that that uh, I told him that going pro pro per is a tough road to hoe, uh, especially as being federal. Uh, so I'm 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 letting him know that. Furthermore, an advocation it might behoove you to motion for your 215 collective and doctor defense, as I believe you do have your rec, uh, and it never expires. By the way. Uh, even though the, the feds still don't honor medical, uh, a jury of your peers, on the other hand, very well might hang in there. Brother Richard, don't forget to breathe. It's only temporary, and all things must pass. Uh, good luck, Vibes. Uh, we'll be there in spirit on April 6th, your friend at Happy Hill, Tom and Donna, and the Human Solution International.org. Okay, well, I'm going to cut to the stage. I want to bring one more thing. Uh, Stacy from Kansas. Uh, uh, I have Frank Canan here from Kansas. Uh, he has a really good lawyer here. He wants to share right here, Carl Cornwell. Is that right, Frank? That is right, right in here. I was, right I was born and raised in Kansas and Missouri, and I know how crooked that state is. Both of them, actually. Kansas is definitely much worse. But if anybody needs a real good attorney for Kansas, Carl Cornwell out of Olathe, Kansas, is a great lawyer. He can get you off pretty much about anything. And he's fairly reasonable price. That's good. And his number is 911. <laughs> huh? No, I said that's great. We got one that doesn't suck. I like it. Yeah, I got one in Missouri, too. But since Kansas has been coming up so much, I think I need to put this out there. So. Call Cornwell, and his number is 913-254-7600. And he's highly recommended for me and all of my family back there. Why don't you give us that number one more time? Area code 913-254-7600. And his name is Carl Cornwell. Out of Kansas. Beautiful. 
Yeah. All right, Frank. Well, you thank you so much. And the whole NorCal crew, you guys are um, an inspiration to the rest. That's for sure. All right, Joe. Thank you. And I did get it to the calendar, uh, Richard Hemsley uh, hearing coming out. I posted to the calendar. All right. Beautiful, Thanks, beautiful. Thank you, All right, Joe. Tom, now we got George Marcherano. Uh, George is a warrior. He served 32 years in federal prison for this plant. And not any violent crime, not any victims, not any trail of blood or any other violence, but this plant. And he's come out not embittered, not destroyed, but strong and inspirational. And he's got some words for us. Welcome to the show, my friend. Hey, Joe. Hi, uh, audience out there in the West Coast and elsewhere. George Martirana here. Uh, I try to close the show uh, best I can. Uh, we're going through some trials and tribulations with loved ones at the hospital and stuff like that. But today, uh, tonight, I'd like to speak about uh, a factor in everyone's life. Matter of fact, I'm doing a series on it, and that's loneliness. I believe loneliness is a big deterrent factor in many lives. It makes people... Uh, do things that uh, that are unwarranted. It uh, uh, gets them involved in the uh, wrong relationships. It gets them involved in the in addictive behavior, whether drinking and drugs, and even uh, relationships where they're violent and even and even can cause death. So loneliness is a big, big factor in a lot of people's lives. Right before the show, I was uh, my mom's been in the hospital. I was at the hospital. I was speaking to a a relative of someone there, a very, very wealthy person. And uh, just because you're wealthy, that doesn't mean you're a bad person. But this woman was very, very wealthy. And uh, she was saying that she was totally lonely, totally lonely in her life. And uh, she just didn't know what to do. And I told her, well, there's an awful lot to do, just like the hospital, especially with the the wing with the, where the children are, the ill children. I said, yeah, you know, if you go, uh, you work with children that are ill, you you will forget your loneliness to help others. So I'm doing this series, uh, series on my uh, my Facebook, and we're going to go into – actually, I'm going to go to a YouTube series with a, a well-known psychologist from Philadelphia. So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, anybody out there suffering with loneliness, uh, believe me, believe me, a big, a big, a big uh, assistance factor, health factor is cannabis. You know, if you're lonely and uh, and you and you feel like uh, Doing things that are destructive, uh, in, uh, that are destructive towards your life, you know, cannabis can bring you out of that loneliness. Can, can, uh, can, uh, you know, uh, can console you and uh, stuff like that. So, uh, want to share that with anyone this week. Loneliness and cannabis <clears throat> can help. Well, thank you, know? you so much, George. And and you know, um, our hearts are with you and and your family. And and we certainly. Uh, Hope that everything is uh, plays out in the best possible way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said, the last month and a half, I've been just crazy as it seems. I've just been in hospitals, you know. Uh, but uh, you know, uh, as a writer and a spokesperson, you observe, you look, and you watch. And I believe, uh, again, you know, loneliness is a big factor in a lot of people's lives. And I just wish I can go around the hospital and give everybody some cannabis. Make them feel better. <laughs> well, you know what? Sometimes you can. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, we've got our ways. Well, my friend, um, you know, you, you have a lot of wisdom, and I'm so glad that you uh, 
have decided to spend a little time on the show and share it with us. And you got a big family out here, George. you got a lot of people that care, and uh, we're here to help. Right, right. All right. Just like I said, cannabis is uh, a way a way to a way to solve a lot a lot of problems. So true. So true. All right. Once again, folks, George Martirano, and uh, that's going to do it for tonight's show. I want to thank everybody for being a part of this. Uh, my ongoing uh, invitation to those that want to come and talk, tell us about your case, tell us about why you agree or disagree with any of these topics. And above all, keep the conversation going. We'll see you next Wednesday. Hi, I'm Willie Nelson, and the Willie Nelson Teapot Party and I endorse The Human Solution, supporting cannabis prisoners because no one should go to jail for a plant. Little things I should have said and done, you were always on.